I guess this is my Thanksgiving service with you because in a couple of weeks we're taken off to where God lives along the Oregon coast and we'll be there for a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's one of the nice things about being retired, you know. But anyway, so I just was thinking as I was preparing for the message this morning, some things I just want to say thank you for. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to come and minister here. That's been a real joy and pleasure. And um, you're a great congregation, and I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. And um, I just thank the Lord that he leads me here on Sundays when there's food served after church. Seems like that always happens. And so, and I don't often have a chance to say this publicly, but I want to thank the Lord for my beautiful wife. She's just a great lady, and I love her very much, and she's so supportive. And So that's my thank yous. Um, I had an interesting week last week. Now I have had, and I think I mentioned this once before, um, I've had seasons in a lot of different churches. I'm uh, born, born and bred a... Um, um, I don't know what the Assemblies of God colors are, but a blue-blooded Assemblies of God Pentecostal. But along life's way, I've been involved with a Nazarene school. I've been involved with a Presbyterian graduate school on the East Coast. Uh, I've been a youth pastor in a Lutheran church. I've been an Episcopalian. I've been a Baptist. I had a season where I enjoyed going to a Catholic church. And I just have learned that wherever you are, um, the Lord is there if you're there in faith. And this last week I had an experience that opened a couple of more venues for me. Um, A former student of mine, I was taught at Bethany University and a former student of mine at Bethany, Las Vegas, when I pastored here, boy, that's been about 20 years ago now, uh, was uh, Michael Hatch. And um, he invited me to come last week and preach in, in his church, which is uh, right in the heart of the bad part of Las Vegas. Um, the name of the church. Now, um, when I tell you the name of the church, you're probably going to have a good guess on what... Uh, Ethnicity of people are there. The name of the church is Balm of Gilead. Does that sound like a certain kind of church to you? It's a black church there. And he asked me to come and speak on the subject spiritual warfare. And I knew why that was the case. He's got a wonderful congregation there. And it was just a great Sunday. We enjoyed it. And I will say this about the black church. They're a lot more fun to preach to than a Presbyterian church. <laughs> They're saying, preach it, brother. Yeah, keep going. And boy, it just makes you feel good. They get you revved up. But I know why he asked me to speak about spiritual warfare. In that part of town, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on. My first hint of that was when I was parked my car, made sure it was locked, and I uh, was stepping into the door of the church, but I had to walk past some homeless person that was asleep right up against the wall near the front door of the church. And I didn't know this till after the service, but during the service, 
There was somebody else who wandered into the church and sat in the back, and he sat to a young lady and started caressing her in the middle of the service. So that was quite a, quite a church, and, and there are people that are coming to the Lord and wonderful things that are happening, and um, that was an experience I really enjoyed. Now, yesterday, I have a daughter-in-law, and she is Jewish. And uh, she believes in Jesus as the Messiah, but uh, she goes to a um, messianic synagogue in Las Vegas. Never been to one of those before. And it was a really rich experience. Their services are even longer than services in the black church. We were there for four hours. But we were there... Uh, to celebrate the bar mitzvah of one of our grandsons. And that is the rite of passage in the Jewish faith uh, where you are moving from boyhood to manhood. But one of the things that struck me and I, I, was the reverence the Jewish people have for the Torah, the law of God. And at one point in the service... They brought out from the holy place, it's a cabinet that's there, this large scroll that's rolled together like the biblical scrolls in two halves. And so much of the service then is about celebrating the law of God, for it is insight for living. And at one point in that service, and I think sometimes as a Pentecostal, we lack ritual. Uh, We have wonderful worship experiences, but coming away from the Lutheran experience I had, I came to uh, appreciate the liturgy of the Lutheran church. And there are some things that are just staples that are good. Well, the celebration of the law, this was a particularly rich moment in that long service yesterday. They took the Torah and they carried it respectfully up and down the aisles of the synagogue. And the Jewish people that are there that reach out and touch the Torah and touch it and kiss it, expressing their love and fidelity to the law of God. Um, So a couple more things to add to my repertoire, but it leads in, and I'll get into the message here now. Um, The last time I was here, I spoke on the beauty of holiness. And I intended for that to be the first part of, a, of a, a sequel that I would speak today because I wanted to speak on um, the beauty of holiness when life happens. Because how do we integrate and hear the Word of God, the written Word of God into our lives in situations and circumstances that the Bible doesn't give us clear direction on? And those things happen in our lives. But it's that faithfulness to the spirit of the law that gives us insight for living. And for the Jewish people, the celebration of the law is not a matter of legalism. We all have had enough of legalism, haven't we? But that law is insight for living. It's the fixed laws of God that teach us how to live our lives and be fully human, everything God intended us to be. But that said, I shifted gears. 
Um, the time before last that I was here, I spoke on beware of counterintelligence. There is real organized evil in our world. Plenty of evidence of that. And I'm going to kind of build on how I built on that when I spoke on the subject of spiritual warfare last week. And I, I, I never preach the same sermon twice, but I will take thoughts from different ones and kind of mold it for uh, where I'm speaking next. And so this morning, let me turn my clicker on here and then we'll be up going here. Spiritual warfare, taking the title from last week, Engaging Our Ancient Foe. We are living in a time, and I think I'm going to make that clear to you over the next few moments, in which Satan, and I don't mean to be profane here, but I mean it, he is hell-bent on giving us hell in this world today. So, first couple of slides here are going to be reviews just to kind of bring you up to speed. I, 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 I promise uh, not to, I, I've been around some churches where preachers will review the last week's sermon and 45 minutes later they get into the last 15 minutes where there's the material. But if you happen to have been here uh, when I spoke on um, counterintelligence, uh, you might recognize these first couple of slides. Long, long ago in heaven far, far away, I told you the story of the fall of Satan from heaven. Here's how a couple scriptures in, that, that tell the story. We don't know exactly what this looked like or how, but Satan was once the highest archangel in heaven. But he rebelled against God, and he was cast out, and we read in Revelation that a third of heaven fell with him. And he has been the enemy of God and the plan and purposes and intentions of God for this planet and us as people ever since. There is the mystery of evil. Uh, there are many things about evil that we will never understand. And I had a professor, this was at Princeton where I studied uh, theology for a time, and I mentioned his name before, Diogenes Allen. And I said before, and I've said this many times, any parents who name their son Diogenes, that son better be smart, right? Because how would you like to live with that handle of Diogenes in your life? But he spoke of the mystery of evil. This is Dr. Allen. And how there are problems we can solve. Sherlock Holmes solved not mysteries, but murder problems. Whodunits. Give Sherlock Holmes and Mr. Watson enough time and evidence and they will solve the problem. Evil is not a problem. It's a mystery. Like God is a mystery. Like the Trinity is a mystery. It's something that we are just not amped to be able to fully comprehend. But evil is real. It's personal. It's organized. It is an alternate, I'm going to call it an unkingdom, because only those things that are genuine and real and have eternal staying power are those things that God authorizes and ordains. The objectives of Satan are threefold. 
And we're going to say more about this in just a moment. This is the end of the review. Deception. He's the deceiver. He wants to throw you off track for who God created and intended for you to be. Just like in the garden. Did God really say? And when Eve saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable to make her wise and even godlike, she was deceived because we can never play God in our own life. He created us to be reliant and dependent upon Him and His Word. Satan is determined to bring about your personal destruction. He wants you to evaporate into the waste of space and not ever experience eternity with God, but spend eternity in separation from God. And he's also the enemy of human civilization and wants to create world disorder and chaos, and he's doing a pretty good job of that right now, isn't he? I want to tell you the tale of two nations. I'll do this quickly. The first of these is ancient Israel. And here's a scripture to go with this. If you fully obey the Lord your God, this is new stuff now, and carefully follow all of his commands, God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. I was reminded again yesterday of why the Jewish people have been so exceptionally successful, prosperous, influential, in spite of great persecution in their lives. There is the blessing of God, but that blessing of God is rooted in the fact that they have obeyed the Lord your God. They have followed a code of living, a moral compass, that is built on the oracles of God that came down from Mount Sinai with Moses. And now, 4,000 years later, and the rabbi yesterday said this. He said, I get chills every time I open the book of the Torah. And everything was in Hebrew, by the way, and I studied Hebrew for three years, but it's pretty rusty now. So I didn't understand much. But he said, think of it. We are speaking the words that Moses himself spoke when he came from down from Sinai over 4,000 years ago. And this is still the code by which we live. Now, Israel was created and singled out by God. They are the chosen people and they remain the chosen people. We have been grafted in, as Paul described it in Romans chapter 11, as incorporated within the calling of, of Israel, but we've never displaced Israel. And Israel, so long in their history, as they would focus on God, and they were prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one they love, to take a hymn, a phrase out of the hymn. And they would slip into idolatry. And when that happened, it always brought no good into their life. Dysfunction. Chaos. 
It happened so soon that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with, to, to read the commandments, the people, while he was away for a few days, crafted a golden calf. And they worshipped the golden calf. We're going to come back to that golden calf in just a moment. That was a likeness of the God of the Canaanites, Baal, or Baal. And as soon as Moses was out of sight, they began to drift and wander off. And the story of Israel is a story of a people that had to be chastised and punished, corrected. The thing that finally ended idolatry for what was left for Israel was the captivity of the southern kingdom in 586 when they went into their Babylonian captivity. Never again to this day have the Jewish people at least intentionally followed any other gods. But the, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom were lost forever. We, maybe the Lord will reassemble them some days. If the Mormons are right, uh, they're the tribes of the Native Americans. I kind of doubt that one, but who knows? Or they've just been absorbed. But they're still the tribes of Judah and Benjamin and other Jews that are a part of that. But this was the story of the nation. And today, they have still not been forsaken by God. They're still a chosen people. But there have been other chosen nations that have come up along the way. One of those is America. It's not the only one that has been chosen. I think of the British Empire and the great job that it did being used by God in bringing order and civilization and Christianity to, during different parts of their history when the sun never set on the British Empire. There have been many other countries like that as well. But in the last 100 or 200 years, there's been a special blessing on America. We've been a people that God has chosen to use. There's the Puritan vision. I don't remember if I told you this one or not, but I'll say it one more time. I've just reached the point where I start repeating myself sometimes. I'm sorry. In 1630, somewhere in the waters between England and what later came to be known as Massachusetts Bay, there was a flotilla of Puritans, a flotilla of ships. The Puritans weren't floating. They were, they were on the ships that were floating. And on one Sunday, John Winthrop preached a message to those Puritans that were on the flagship of that flotilla, a city on a hill. And as they were preparing to make port in Massachusetts Bay, he told of the blessing that God would um, send to the Puritans if they fulfilled the mission of why God sent them to the new world in the first place. God would bless them. The term manifest destiny that we have today came originally from that Puritan message that John Winthrop spoke. That God would bless them and prosper them. But this was not for their own prosperity. This was their errand in the wilderness. 
Their intended purpose was to give an example that would shine back across the Atlantic to England and show the half-hearted Anglicans in England what authentic Christianity was really like. But as so often is the case, God brings about purposes that we couldn't have even dreamed of. And this new country became a beacon of hope and opportunity. Now, I know we hear a lot about what's wrong with America today. And there is lots wrong with this. That's because America is made up of Americans, and that includes you and me, and we're far from perfect. But we move closer to God, who God has us to be. And i got to keep moving here. And so there was this Puritan vision. And Experiment America was born. We were the talk of Western Europe. People came to study, is this working out, this experiment in democracy? A country that, where there is a separation of church and state, and it's not a state church. And it succeeded wildly. And I could go on and on on this, but I won't. And God has singularly blessed America. And it's been used. We hear all about the bad things. What other country in the world has ever rebuilt its enemies like we did after World War II? The Marshall Plan that rebuilt Germany and Western Europe and Japan. So many different things. Hospitals, educational institutions, education has been brought on and on it goes. Experiment America has worked greatly. But it was founded on a sure foundation of the Christian faith. Now that doesn't mean everybody was going to heaven when they died, but that became the consensus of the laws, the basis of our laws, our moral compass, our standards, our system of justice. And that sure foundation. But today, America has crumbling foundations. Prayer has been taken out of our schools. So many different things. They're trying to take in God we trust off our coins. Trying to take it out of the Pledge of Allegiance. On and on it goes. And there's been the crumbling of those foundations. And we are turning to false gods too. And you can see it. Is there anybody in America that thinks America was as great a place as it was 50 years ago? 30 years ago? Four years ago. There is a linkage between falling away from our faith and allegiance to God and chaos and disorder that comes into our lives. So I want to speak this morning in the spirit of Halloween. I couldn't resist putting this slide up here. Six evil spirits. And... You know, when I was an MK, that's missionary's kid in the Philippines, there were some hair-raising, supernatural things that we witnessed. I remember one night in the city of Iloilo, I was six years old. And my dad was the missionary in the church. And all of a sudden, bursting through the back doors of the church, 
And this seemed very odd for a millisecond. There was a man in a trench coat with his arm inside of his coat and he came screaming and running down the middle aisle. Now those courageous Filipino national pastors scattered like cockroaches on the garage floor when you turn the light on. The only one left standing there was my dad. I won't do it right now, but he jumped down in front. He said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And that man fell over like dead, and a huge rock rolled out from under his coat. He came back um, in his senses. This man came to the Lord. Here was the story. This man had been superintendent of schools in the city of Iloilo, a city of several hundred thousand and his family thought he had lost his mind. They had no insane asylums there. And so he roamed the streets. And he told, he told how one day riding the bus, a voice came and spoke to him. Go and kill the pastor of that church. And that's what he came there on a mission to do. That demon was cast out. Do you know that man was restored through his position as an educational leader in that city, but without that demon in him. We just don't see that kind of stuff here. Okay? But there are evil spirits, and I'm telling you, if you don't realize that in this mystery of evil, there is a sinister force that's trying to undo us and our world, you're missing the point. So we're going to look at six of these very quickly here. Here's the scripture to get us going. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. I'm not going to use the word hierarchy because I don't want to give any kind of honor to Satan. But there is a lowerarchy of evil. Okay? And there are spirits and forces that are present in nations and communities as well as demons that will torment you. And it's a real realm. And it's at work in our world today. The first demon I want us to look at, and he's not named in Scripture, but how many of you here have heard of C.S. Lewis? Okay, um, I've read most of his books, and one of my favorites is uh, Screwtape Letters. Screwtape is the fictional name that C.S. Lewis gave to the devil. And the devil's henchman was named Wormwood. And these were letters that were written to try to deceive and mislead a person that Satan was trying to misdirect and ruin his life. So I'm giving this spirit of lying the name Screwtape. And here's a couple scriptures. You belong to your father the devil. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him, speaking of the devil, when he lies, I love this phrase, he speaks his native language, 
for he is a liar and the father of lies. In 2 Thessalonians, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. There is a lying, evil Satan that is there. One of the things that has fascinated fascinated me so much, and I've thought about it a lot recently, is the power of delusion. What is this phenomena of groupthink that sucks so many people into it? Spirits of lies. And I believe, and I'm not, I'm not a guy that sees a demon in every corner. And I really believe that there is a sinister evil force that knits together the lie and convinces groups of people to collectively believe in that lie. And that lying spirit is rampant in our world today. And I'll just give an example or two of it. But it could just go on and on. One of the intentions of this new, and it really is agnostic at best, atheistic at worst, secular, progressive, Marxist spirit in our world today, is try to erase history and roots and heritage. Erase it called cancel culture and replace it with a new version of what they want to be an alternate reality. And it's doomed to failure. You see, there is such a thing as timeless truth. There is such a thing as an order of creation. And these things are not malleable. They're not interchangeable. And the extent to which this happened is astonishing in our world. And the power that it is gaining, I'll just pick on our country, but it's happening in Europe. It's happening in other places too. They have dissuaded Hollywood, are persuaded. Many in our political system are a part of it. The business community, education, all of those levers of power have been pulled. And it is astonishing to me how this lie has a power. I'll get to it in just a moment. But two of the favorite targets now are race and sex. We're not, we're not perfect when it comes to race relations. But I'm telling you, this country was not founded in 1619 to be a slave empire. That is a lie. But people believe it. And I can tell you, you can say what you want, but your biological makeup is more than just biological markers. If you feel like If I feel like I'm a woman on the inside, I'm not really a woman. It won't work. Come on, look in the mirror and pull your pants down. That's not who you are. And the thing is, when we experiment 
with these alternate non-realities, it does not end well. I heard recently, and I don't know if these numbers are correct, and I can't remember my source, so take it as through the grapevine. Don't quote me on it. But the suicide rate among transgender people is a hundred times higher than the rest of the population. I know it's off the charts higher. I don't know if that number is correct or not. It's a lying spirit. And when we have forsaken the laws of God and the truths of God that apply in our lives, Katie, bar the door. You're going to go down a primrose path and it's a road to personal destruction, unhappiness, depression. Failure, defeat. So lie, so demon number one is this lying spirit. And if that evil spirit can cause you to neglect that sure foundation that you held and what has built your life, it's not going to end well for you. I could go on and on, but let's keep going. What about Baal or Baal? This was the God that sucked in Israel time and again. He was the highest God in the Canaanite culture. He was the Lord of Lords. He was the Lord of creation. He was the Lord of nature. He was the Lord of affluence and prosperity. And the Jewish people, just like the Canaanites around them, time and again... Altars to Baal were erected. And they forsook the God of Scripture, the God of the Torah. Sometimes they they wandered so far away that there wasn't even a known copy of the Torah in their midst. Remember the story of King Josiah. They found it while he was trying to renovate the temple. They had so forsaken their God. And they turned to the gods of Baal. And every time they did that, it did not end well for them. God is merciful. God is forgiving. God restores. But God is not going to bless what he has not created and authorized to be true in the first place. Now, is Baal Coming to America? Let me tell you something. The image of Baal, uh, he was pictured as a large Viking-like figure. But the image of Baal was always a molten bowl. Sometimes he's characterized as a calf, like at the foot of Mount Sinai. America was founded ungodly and truths and principles and foundations. The center of prosperity in our world today is Wall Street and money and prosperity. And there's an interesting phenomena that occurred. And that is that a bull is the symbol. I've seen it. I've been to Wall Street. There is a large molten bull 
right there at the entrance to Wall Street. That bull did not always stand alone there. But for years, there was a statue of George Washington not far away from where that bull was. And that's where George Washington gave his inaugural address and spoke to America of how the blessings of God would be upon this country so long as we followed the laws of God. But that disaster would come if we ever departed from those laws. Maybe just coincidence. But they tore down the statue of George Washington and the bull is there. Now this bull was not only the god of prosperity. He was the god of fertility. You offered, you offered offerings uh, to, to Baal or Baal for harvest. And that's what translated into money. But he was also the nature god. It was a form of nature worship to worship Baal. Because he was the lord of nature. And look how we are trying to worship nature today. Remember, I, I don't think it was just coincidental that in the creation story in Genesis chapter 2, the author acknowledges the creation of the heavens. He created the sun and the stars also. They are not given a place of superiority or prominence prominence over the God who created them, but secondary to and subject to him. And it's part of a lie. It's part of nature worship. You know, I want to have a clean planet. You know, I'm for, I'm for, I'm for clean energy. I'm for all of these things. I do not believe our planet is going to self-destruct in nine more years. First of all, nature is not in charge of itself. God is in charge of nature. Now that doesn't absolve us of responsibility and that sort of thing. But that God of Baal is raising his head in our world today, in our country today, and displacing the place of the prominence of loyalty and devotion to the God of Moses and the God of Jesus. And trying to dismiss that revealed uh, truth. Trying to dismiss it from our world altogether and replace it with science. Technology. Prosperity. There's another. Here's the third one of those evil spirits. Oh, here was the verse that goes with that. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. And he reared up altars of Baalim. Baalim that is the plural for Baals. There were many different Baals. And made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Nature. Nature worship was part of the worship of Baal. Asherah. She's another goddess. She goes by different names. In Greece, she was Aphrodite. 
You might have seen pictures of Aphrodite. She's the goddess who has all of these breasts going down her chest. It's, she's the fertility goddess. In Canaan, she was Asherah. In Rome, she was Venus. But the name that's the root of it all is the name Ishtar. But Asherah, as we read in Scripture... And he took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord in the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He also turned down, uh, tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. The quarters where women did weaving for Asherah. Now, Baal worship, but Asherah and the next one we're going to look at, which is Moloch in just a moment, they even found their way into the hill of shrines outside the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon had altars or poles to Asherah and a shrine to the god Molech there. Solomon. Maybe in some ways he was the wisest man who ever lived. But I'm just telling you, Anybody who had 700 wives and 300 concubines is not that smart. Okay? It was probably trying to appease these foreign wives that he married that he set up altars to their pagan gods and goddesses. But here's the thing about Asherah or Ishtar. She was the god of sexual love. She was the goddess of passion, a very passionate goddess. She was a goddess of war. She was the goddess of the taverns. She was the patron of the prostitutes. There was male prostitutes in the temples that were there. And I I need to keep hurrying along, so I I can't tell you how that came about. But I will tell you, Israel compromised on this as well. Read the story in Genesis 38 of Judah and Tamar. She was sitting along the side of the road and Judah went aside and had sexual relationships with her. It was the duty of every woman, and this was part of the worship of Asherah, to at one point in her life serve as a temple prostitute. And this was that they would ask Asherah, Baal, And the two were consorts. Baal and Asherah was his consort. This was the form of their prayer. This is why he had the male prostitutes there. You are praying for the gods of fertility to bless the crops and the harvest and the sheep and the cattle and the livestock. And the way you emulated that prayer to God is you would have sexual relations as man and woman on the altar of God in the temple to try to give him a visual view of how you wanted him to so act upon nature. Now you can understand how that kind of gross sexual immorality would lead to sexual decadence in the societies that practice that kind of of religious practice. This was Asherah. She also celebrated the fact that there were two dimensions to who she was. There are likenesses of Ishtar or Asherah where half of her is a female 
and the other half is a male. The warlike dimension of who she was was the male side of Ishtar. The licentious, passionate side of her, the insatiable side of her, was the wanton female side of who she was. And their rites were in celebration of Asherah. They would have festivals where likeness of Asherah would parade down the streets with men dressed like women and women like men and confusing and blending the the genders together. Is Asherah coming to America? Do we see this happening in our world and around the world? I could go on and on. Do you know one of the next... I don't even know if Asherah slummed this much. But there is a strong movement in our country right now to try to relax the the restrictions between adult sex and pedophile sex. To try to decriminalize it. It's that spirit of Asherah. And it has taken hold. I mean, this is not smart. Some of these people that are trying to sound so intellectual. Listen, I'm not here to brag about anything. I have more education than most of them. I'm just telling you. Okay? I've read the philosophers. I've read the histories. I've done all of that stuff. I'm not bragging about myself. But these people are not very smart. And what they are doing is something that will bring ruin to our civilization, our culture, our way of life as we know it. There is even a church, a Methodist church. I forget the city. I don't think I would mention it anyway. Where they have hired a children's pastor. She goes by the name. It's a cross-dresser. Transgender, dressed like a woman, a drag queen, there's the term. She has given herself the name Penny Cost. And she is teaching in the children's ministry of that church. I could go on and on, but you get the idea. The same thing that happened to Israel when they would depart from their faith and loyalty to the law of God and flirt with these false gods that were there, that same thing will happen to us if as a people that's the road we trod down. Molech. Let's look at Molech for a moment. He's spelled differently. In most of your Bibles, it's, it's spelled M-O-L-E-C-H, but this is one of the ways it's spelled as well. Uh, he's the great destroyer. He's the one that declares war on human life. The likeness of Moloch. He's pictured as sitting down. Again, another kind of Viking-looking head up here. And in his laps... Are his outstretched hands. And the Canaanites would come and offer their son or their daughter to Molech as a human sacrifice. 
and they would be tossed into a fire and burned alive. Now, the reason why the Canaanites and the Jews engaged in this too for a time and to a degree. The reason why people would do that, they wanted the blessings of the God. They wanted, prof- they wanted prosperity. They wanted blessing. They wanted a better life. Nobody just throws their kids into the fire to hear them scream as they're being burnt. But there is something they want in their life in somewhere. And this, by the way, is, a, is a, almost a universal phenomenon. Sheree and I have been to Chechen Itza, and we've stood there before the uh, altar where the Mayans sacrificed young men and women, and they would cut their beating heart out of their chest and raise it to the God that he would bring prosperity and a great harvest. But it was a matter of convenience, and it was a matter of expediency, and it was a matter of wanting blessing. The god Moloch required human life to be given in order for him to bless them. And I don't think that blessing worked out so well either. Life was held in disregard. It was to a degree the Jewish faith, but to a greater degree the dawn of Christianity that held to the sanctity of life. In most cultures, there was a saying in Rome, in pagan Rome, that anybody over 65 should be thrown in the Tiber. They're no longer of any use anymore. Once you depreciate the value of human life at an early stage, it continues to work its way through every stage of life. So the disabled, the sick, the challenged, were discarded, left out sometimes for wild beasts to devour. If they were girls and they didn't want girls, they would be taken and left on the doorstep of the brothel so they could grow up to be prostitutes in Rome. That disregard for human life. Do you know that in our country, since the passage of Roe v. Wade, thank God it's off the books now, Over 60 million babies have been aborted. In the book of Amos, when Amos is saying for three sins and for four, God's judgment is coming on Amnon because they ripped open the pregnant women, is what it says. Now, the motive for abortion today is not that different from what child sacrifice was for the Canaanites. You want blessing. You want an easier life. Do you know, you might think this is far-fetched, but there is a candidate. It's Stacey Abrams is her name in Georgia. She's actually said that one of the cures for the inflation problem we have is to start aborting your babies. There are articles that have been written to try to sanitize taking of nascent human life. I've seen the titles of them. Two or three of them are entitled, The Sacrament of Abortion. Or another, Abortion is an Act of Love. Come on. 
professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So the spirit of Ishtar has come to America. And look, I remember when Bill Clinton said regarding abortion, he wanted it to be safe and he wanted it to be rare. Listen to the rhetoric today. It is a pro-death declaration. You will never even hear the value of the human life. There was a debate in Georgia between a preacher, Raphael Warnock, and a football player, Herschel Walker. And Raphael Warnock was giving a spirited um, declaration in their debate on why abortion should always be a viable alternate. alternate. And Herschel Walker, who is not nearly as well spoken, by the way, he just tore him up in the, in the debate, tore up Warnock. He said, but there's a baby there. Nobody wants to hear those words. Now, this isn't just an arbitrary commandment of God. I have a friend. He's a good lawyer. We get together and we talk theology all the time. Very successful in in Las Vegas. He was a member of my church when I pastored there before. Uh, But he's very progressive. He's very woke. And so we have these spirited conversations uh, about these sorts of things. And, And he's very much for the woman's right to choose. But he stumbles all the time when I say, what about the rights of the child that's there? See? Now, do you think if God punished Israel, withdrew his blessing? I, I know what I was going to say about this uh, with um, this friend of mine. You know, one of the, um, who was I was talking to this not long ago? It was my son. We have long talks too. He's a physics major and he's a, a, got his PhD in math and won impressive scholarships uh, as, a, as a doctorate. And we were talking uh, about this and we said this is a population problem. I didn't know this. He said, do you know, Dad, that China may have 1.5 billion citizens today But because of their one-child policy that they had for so many years, there is a precipitous decline in the young population in China today. And I forget how many years off he said it was. It's like within a generation. He said the population of China is going to be less than half of what it is today. 600 million people. Well, who's going to pay for the elderly when that happens? And in Western Europe, that's a problem too. I, think th- I suspect this is one of the reasons why Putin is so aggressive and wanting to take over Ukraine. There's not enough Russians to support Russia. Because where abortion was first legalized was in Russia after the Soviet Revolution took place. We're going to run out of people 
Uh, I didn't realize this, but this is a critical problem in Japan today. It's a problem in South Korea today. It's a problem in Russia today. It's a problem in Germany today. It's a problem in France. It's a problem worldwide. Here's the point. When we let those evil spirits of Moloch rise again, it brings death and destruction to people. Okay, two more. And the Lord said to Moses, here's the scripture that goes with this. Say to the Israelites, any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Molech is to be put to death. For by sacrificing his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. So we're not an exception to that. Here's another one. The spirit of lawlessness in our world today. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 verse 12. He talks about how iniquity will abound and the love of many will grow cold. That word iniquity can also be translated lawlessness. And there is a spirit of lawlessness in our world today. Here's another scripture that goes with that. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. The coming of the lawless one, lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. There we're back to that lying spirit again. Do I have to convince any of you that there is a spirit of lawlessness in our country today? And it's worldwide. I guess I'm thinking Jewish because of my experience yesterday. But I was thinking of the laws of the Old Testament. A godly society is a society of laws. And woe to those who willingly and knowingly and intentionally transgressed the laws of God. The penalties were heavy and steep. But we've tried to become such a um, society of grace and acceptance and that there's no fear of the law. And that spirit of lawlessness is running rampant. I'm very sorry genuinely sorry for what happened to Paul Pelosi this weekend. But I'm here to tell you that he and his wife are among the proponents of defunding police and doing away for penalty of law. Well, it's a different thing when it knocks on your door, isn't it? You see? That spirit of lawlessness. Last one. The spirit of Antichrist. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Here is an announcement. When John talked about Antichrist, whether he's referring to him not by name in the book of Revelation or by name, in 1 John, you hear that the spirit of Antichrist isn't one, but many. Many Antichrists have already come. 
Probably the Apostle John, when he was talking about Antichrist and the lawless one from the Isle of Patmos, and talking about the beast, he was probably talking about the Emperor Nero, who had persecuted Christians. But there have been many Antichrists who have come down through the years. And I won't name them all. Here's just a few. Martin Luther thought that the Pope was the Antichrist. He was having a bad experience with bad popes. Um, I would say that Adolf Hitler was an Antichrist. I would say that Joseph Stalin was an Antichrist. I would say that Pol Pot, I was in Cambodia and visited the, hell, the, the killing fields of Cambodia about three or four years ago. He was an antichrist. He exterminated about half of his own population. And the list goes on. But I'm telling you, that spirit of antichrist is in our world today. I'm not exaggerating what I'm saying in this lying spirit that I talked about earlier. In that lie, we are trying to be portrayed as extremists, as Christians today. If you believe in the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman, you're homophobic. And we are the extremists. Think about this for a moment. Isn't it interesting how Satan always makes an inroad by just wanting you to be a little soft and a little understanding? And I have relatives one that died of AIDS, another one that died recently of complications, and I think it had to do something with his gay lifestyle. I'm not, I'm not homophobic, but I see what it does in people's lives. And this idea that it, all we want is to be respected, give it a few years. And now you are the outsider and the enemy because you don't fully accept and embrace it. And you are the bad person if you stand for biblical values. That's what they're trying to do with this gender nonsense. That's what they're trying to do if you have a pro-life stance. That's what they're trying to do in each of these areas. Now, let, let me wrap this up. There is a group that was formed and first started meeting in 1971. Klaus Schwab, a German economist, was his name. And he created the World Economic Forum. And he has a book. I'm probably going to get it and read it. In fact, I intended to give you a book list today. There's lots of interesting things I've been reading lately, and maybe I will. But it's called The Great Reset. And I'm telling you, there is a plan underway to reset the priorities and the values of the world in which we live. It's very Marxist in its orientation. And here's the thing about Karl Marx. Karl Marx was a German Jew that was, his family was forced to convert to Protestantism to get anywhere in German life. And Karl Marx's whole vision, if you, I don't know if you've read the Communist Manifesto or not, it's very interesting. 
His idea of history having a direction and headed for a utopia. First of all, if you're atheistic, what's to say that direction of history is not headed to a dystopia instead of a utopia? There has to be some underlying force if you think it's a positive direction where it's going. But there is an idea, it's part of this fallen nature we have, and it's a desire that goes back to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3, to be like God ourselves. And here is the agenda of the Great Reset. They want to create a one world order. Globalism. They want to do away with money as we know it and create a kind of digital currency. Um, Bill Gates, just within the last couple of weeks, I heard it on the news, he has donated $200 million to the effort to try to create a mandated digital ID that's implanted in all of us. The idea is to redefine morality, sexuality, in another whole way from what we know it. And there is not anything, not one word, in this World Economic Forum about Scripture or about godly values or any of that sort of thing. You know, we are living in a revelation generation. History has been here before. And every time, good and God has triumphed over evil and brought the forces of Antichrist crumbling to the ground. And that might be what it's going to take now. And maybe this is the final curtain of history. The stage has never been set like it is right now. So here, here's the end. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. And I've tried to give you just a little glimpse of, of, of what this looks like. Very quickly, therefore put on the full armor of God. Stand firm with the belt of, belt of truth. Not the lies that are made up around about us. Buckled around your waist. The breastplate of righteousness. If you are living right in your relationship with God, you are in a place where you can hear the signal and the voice and the whisper of God into your life. And stand with your, and the, uh, stand with your feet filled with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're not warmongers. It's in a Christ-like way that we take a stand. The shield of faith. It might seem like you have great doubts in your mind and uncertainty. Faith is an exercise of defiance against those things that seem to be weighing on us that are contrary to the Word of God. The helmet of salvation. Nobody can snatch us from the hand of God if our faith is in Him. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And prayer. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. So engaging the enemy, first of all, join the battle. We can't stand on the sidelines when this is happening.
wherever you are, whatever your station in life, as a parent, make sure you know what your kids are being taught in the schools. Maybe it's in the workplace. Certainly, it's with the vote that comes up in in just a little over a week from now. Prepare for the long haul. Now, I hope, you probably have figured out, I'm not trying to be political, and I can say a lot of things bad about the Republican Party, too. They're way too materialistic, way too concerned about a standard of living. There's corruption there as well. But I will tell you, the balances are weighted in another direction in the way the political configurations are today. But it's not about a political victory. Because if we do not return to faithfulness and submission and humility before God and obedience of His ways, you can have the perfect political system and it's still going to go to hell in a basket. Because it's ultimately about God and our relationship to Him. Do not conform. I saw that passive scripture on the wall when I walked in. Uh, in uh, Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That might mean, there's some other books I've been reading right now. One I'm looking at right now is the Benedict Option. I read one a few years ago about how the Irish saved civilization. It's the birth of the monastic movement in Europe. This, these movements arose in a time of spiritual decline. For the Benedictines, it was in the years of the Dark Ages, after Rome had fell and, and Europe was in chaos. And they became a model of godliness, living in exile from the population as a whole. But they intentionally built their monasteries on hills overlooking the city. And they worked as farmers and as in all of the trades to model for the towns below what a godly way of life should look like. you got a great situation right here in Overton. A little community. And you can make an impact. But you cannot buy into the system. You just can't buy into it. Or you become a part of the problem rather than the solution. Do not conform. What does it mean for you to take a stand in the time in which we live? And keep your eyes on the prize. I don't know that it's going to get easier for us before it gets uh, harder. Do you know that in the 20th century to date... More than half of the 70 million Christian martyrs that have been executed since the early church, more than half, over 35 million, have been martyred in the last hundred years. I'm not saying that's happening, but I'm telling you, there is a war against the people of God, and there are lying spirits that are trying to bring an end to experiment America to godly kingdoms around the world. And I'm telling you, it's not evident that there's any other country on the face of the earth right now that as a nation has the ability to stand up to the powers of evil as this country still has. And I think that's one of the reasons why Satan is so determined to try to bring us down. Now, did I encourage you today... 
There is hope. Keep your eyes on the prize. One of the great things that we're looking for is the rapture of the church. That the Lord is going to say, no mas, in his greatest Hebraic Spanish accent. And he's going to lift out the saints of God from this world. And I don't know, maybe this isn't so Christian, but I just like the thought. I love Jesus who is gracious and long-suffering and kind and the gentle uh, uh, shepherd. But I'm glad that in the 20th chapter of Revelation, when Jesus returns, he's coming back as the warrior king. He's coming back and he's furious. Not at us, but at what Satan has done to this world. And to all those who have intentionally fallen for that lie. I like to think, if the rapture happens when we think it might, before the tribulation, that among those white-robed armies of heaven, if I have a chance, I'm going to say, I want to saddle up. I want to come back. Because I will tell you, I despise the work of Satan and evil. I respect him. He's more powerful and smarter than us. But in Martin Luther's great hymn, Mighty Fortress, see if I can remember it now. I can sing it better than I It was our theme song when I graduated from seminary. In this world with devils filled, our battle would be losing. If not the right man were on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Lord Sabaoth his name from age to age the same. And I'm telling you, in this mystery of evil, I think I've used this term before, ultimately, Satan is used of God and under God's control. Satan, if you're listening to this, I want you to hear it. You're nothing more than God's useful idiot. And God will use you, but you're not going to break the work of God in this world. So we win. But there are evil spirits. Don't be afraid of them, but be courageous. Let's stand. I went way over time. Man, I'm... I'm getting so long-winded in my old age. I'm just sorry about that. I said that last week in that black church because I got under the anointing too and they said, keep preaching, brother! Keep preaching! <laughs> All right. Could we just close our eyes for a moment and just wait in the Lord's presence and just listen what the Spirit of God may be saying to you. If there's something you'd like to share, you can just, I won't wait long, but you can say it. But if not, I'll just close in prayer in a moment. But let's wait in the presence of the Holy Spirit right now. Amen.
Father, we thank you that you do have the whole world in your hand. There's nothing that catches you by surprise. And we have been called to live and to stand in this time for a purpose. Just like Esther, we have been chosen to live and called to stand for a time such as this. Give us the joy and the hope. Give us the truth. Show us how we can make a difference in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, in all that we do. May we be marked by truth, by the enlightenment of your word. May we walk in joy, hope, faith, and power. We pray for your blessing upon us as we draw this service to a close. We pray that your spirit would continue to speak into our lives those things that I have spoken that are faithful to what you are speaking and saying through your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.